Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled, he just goes till the sun goes down. Welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is all about learning where your food comes from. The food that you buy, wherever you buy it, on your plate, you cook it at home. Chef Jackson's in studio to help us with the culinary side of things. But hey, Chef Jackson, welcome to Food Chat. Well, hi, Greg. It's great to be uh, with you again. I am so excited to have Roger Morgan on the show with us today to talk about beef production. And people might wonder, why does Food Chat have so many episodes about beef production? Well, number one, we're in Colorado, which has two of the largest beef plants in the United States in it. And also, Colorado, I believe, is number 10 in beef production as far as number of cattle produced here. But also, Colorado borders Nebraska and Kansas and Oklahoma and down to the south, New Mexico. And then, of course, there's Texas. But we're kind of right in the middle of the beef belt, I call it. We're in the beef belt. I kind of like the way that sounds. Yeah. There's cattle everywhere around here. You drive around, people are going to be driving through the holidays. They're going to be driving through Nebraska and Kansas. And what are they going to see? Corn and beef. (laughs) Well... December, maybe just the beef. Maybe just the beef, that's That's right. That's right. Well, Roger, welcome to the show here on Food Chat. And um, how did you get into cattle production? You know, a lot of times this is uh, handed down generation to generation. Can you tell us about your ranch and your family background? Hi, guys. Uh, Thanks for having me on, yes. Um, Yeah, I I didn't have a whole lot of options about not getting into cattle production. Uh, (laughs) This is a generational ranch. We started back in 33, uh, with, and then my grandmother and my father and uncle came on up in uh, 56, I believe, and took over the ranch. So we didn't have a whole lot of option, but it's, it's pretty deep in our blood. We really enjoy being cattle ranchers. We really care about, oh, the native environment that we're in, um, how the cattle work on it. And we watch really closely on our information of, of everything, of how how many different species of grasses and forbs we're producing on our prairie, Um, how heavy are the calves coming off the cow when it's weaning time. You know, everything is really important to us. So it's kind of bred into us. Um, Like I say, it's just a generational ranch, and I expect the next generation doesn't have a choice either. They're just going to have to be ranchers and continue on the legacy. Well, as long as you can set it up for them, I think that'd be great. Um, let's talk about different breeds of cattle. Um, why do you, what breeds do you raise, and why do you raise those breeds? Like I say, we've been at it for quite a while. So we've, uh, we started with the Hereford breed, um, and we love them for you know, their ability to manage the environment and utilize all the grass, the facility. We've been a long time in the Hereford breed. Um, they've been able to grow up. They've had really good immunities to any problems out here and then they're thick hided for our colder winters and she's been a little cold here of late so we've appreciated that um and then we also raised the wagyu breed um the wagyu breed from japan they're extremely high quality uh beef producers we've really what we call americanized them we've bred them to angus and then bred that out so we're still running a 95 percent wagyu bloodline in them 
but they have a little bit of, uh, of Angus or Hereford background in them to help them out as far as the environment and immunities without sacrificing any of the beef quality. So we've been able to take our breeds and work them together to more optimize not only our resources that we have, but also have a better end product at the end of the day. I think it's important for our listeners to know that most of them are urbanites and don't know much about cattle production. Maybe they know a little bit, but, uh, you know, there's with Wagyu beef and with, you know, any of the breeds, actually, there's the bloodline. What percent genetically pure is it? You said your, your, uh, your Angus, I'm sorry, your Wagyu is 95%. Uh, but then there's also the grading, and that's different. You know, there's the grading side. And I love the beef that you produce, and, I, of course, I consume it. And I sell it here in Denver to restaurants and to direct to consumers. But I love it because the genetics are very consistent. Your beef is so consistent, week in and week out, load in and load out. And I hear that from chefs. It's like, well, we've tried other Wagyu programs. We've tried other programs, uh, beef programs, and they're great. You know, all of it's wonderful. But the Morgan Ranch beef is so consistent. And uh, that's great. And I don't know how you do it. But, uh, you know, Chef Jackson is going to ask you a question here just a little bit about how you do it. And, uh, but I want to talk to you, uh, go back to something you said about your ranch, Roger. Your ranch uh, won a sustainability award uh, in, in the past. And you mentioned that one reason you raise Hereford is because of how great for the environment they are. But I just want you to speak as a beef producer to people that might kind of, uh, you know, wonder about beef production and is it sustainable, meaning can it keep can it keep going on? Can we can we keep raising cattle and still protect the environment? Would you speak to, speak to that? Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of talk about about the environment and uh, and in particular being harmful on people in agriculture on the environment, which it, I think is totally off base. Uh, the people in agriculture are stewards of their land. Uh, whether it's us, where we run a native prairie. Uh, we we don't farm till anything, uh, but we do have to purchase in corn and some feed for our for our livestock. So as well as the farmers and everybody, you've got to be a steward of your land and make sure it's it's being profitable. And if you ever you know hurt your land, it's not going to be profitable. Um, yes, we were the uh, we were the uh, 2013 Regional Leopold Award winners between us and a neighbor's ranch um so conservation and sustainability regenerative ag all of that is, are buzzwords that people are using now but as far as our ranch and everything this is something we've done for generations uh we care about making sure that the land is at its optimal peak um so like i mentioned we keep account on how many different grasses and forbs we have and this tells us um a lot about not only how healthy is the soil, but uh, a university in Nebraska did a study a couple years ago about the soil and how it does with uh, carbon sequestration. Um, and it was interesting to learn how how untilled or, or native soil does versus tame soil that's been worked with. And it does a really good job. Like they say that uh, that our native soil actually uptakes and stores more carbon than than, say, a tame or a tilled soil. Um, and all this helps out. But like I say, if you're not taking care of what you have, it's not going to be profitable for you, and then you're not going to do it. That's just the simple economics of, of life, really. Excellent. You know, um, 
As Greg mentioned earlier, you uh, produced a very consistent quality product year after year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the guy that's cooking the product. Uh, how do you maintain that kind of consistency? You know, of course, of course, in this industry, so many variables with the weather and Mother Nature and everything else that gets thrown our way. How do you stay consistent with quality? Um, we never race to the end. Uh, that's our our biggest thing. Uh, we kind of let the cattle do what they need to do. Uh, if they're not ready, we're not going to take them. Uh, now we have to, you know, make sure that we're still doing it, uh, raising the cattle to their potential. But uh, if they're not ready, we just don't take them. So our consistency is about just being patient with the animal, making sure that, that they have the time to do what they need to. And then to back that up, we keep a lot of data on all of our our cattle. So we know them from from birth to plate. Uh, so we know which bloodlines uh, perform at a higher level, which ones need a little bit more marbling, which bull is bringing more more quality into it, which bull is bringing more pounds into it. And we work those bloodlines together to make sure that we keep a consistent uh, quality product going out at a timely manner. I would think so, that that's one advantage you have, Roger, because you're um, directly involved with the slaughter of your cattle. You get to see how they grade out. And a lot of beef producers, if they're selling through a feed yard or to a, another entity, they don't not always get their grading intel back all the time, so they don't really know sometimes. So that's what's one great thing about how you guys run your program. Yeah, that is a it's a really and especially for me because I go to every everyone to look at them and then uh, then we coordinate the carcasses to what animal it was uh, throughout all the tagging and and uh, stickering so we can we can backtrack exactly which ones are which and it is um, you know I I not only sort the cattle but then we go in and we look at the carcasses and we sort the carcasses as well to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Say, you know, of course, sustainability, we just discussed that with Greg's question there. But boy, the public, you know, they, the people that are these plant-based uh, eaters, they just think that beef production is damaging the environment. Uh, you and I know different. But uh, what's a message uh, that we can send forward with this show uh, regarding the sustainability of your ranch? The message is, is that, you know, we're doing the right thing out here. Uh, the, the environment needs managed as well, and the best people to do that are the stewards of the land. And that, that would be us. That would be our family generational ranch. We've been here since 33. If we weren't taking care of the environment, we would not still be here. And so, yes, there's been different changes from going from, uh, from the Hereford to a, to a heavy Wagyu influence. Yes, that changes things, but we still manage the land. From running a, a lot of yearling, which would be, you know, a younger animal out on the hills, they do very good on grass as they grow up. They're also extremely hard on, on the land, so you must manage them a lot. And we've backed that down a little bit and gone more to the cow-calf, who's a lot easier on the grass uh, on the what we call blowouts, which would be a, a damaged area here in the sand hills that uh, doesn't produce much grass. So we must 
maintain and fence that off so that way the environment can then then uh, rebuild itself. To those that think that, that animal agriculture is, is damaging the environment, I would say they're, they're dead wrong and that you need to trust the, the generational farmers and ranchers out there because they are taking into consider what's, what's best for the environment and for their operation. Yeah, it's really ridiculous to think that a, a rancher or a farmer would run their operation into the ground, you know, so that they can't, you know, unless they're going to sell this year. But I've been to your ranch. It's a beautiful ranch. I love how you can stand up on top of a hill that you took me to, and you can turn a 360, and you can't really see the edge of your ranch. Or maybe you can see the edge of your ranch, but you can't see the edge of the prairie. It's just gorgeous. It uh, reminded me of the scene from Dances with Wolves where they're looking up on the top of the ridge in, in the prairie, and they can see the buffalo all around. But I could see, not buffalo, but I could see your Hereford cattle and your Wagyu cattle, and it was just great. And I could see, I'm a novice, but I could see that your ranch is not overgrazed that uh, there's still a lot of forage left and you're rotating your, your cattle through there. Hey, Roger, I have a question. I also met you um, at the National Western Stock Show years ago, and I know mm-hmm. you do a lot of stock shows, and I, I want to ask you why. Like, why do you spend the time and the money to take live animals to a stock show? Well, that's a, it can be a little twofold on that. Um, yes, we were at the National Western Stock Show, and, and we've been there many, many times, as well as other ones. We've had our national champion um, float through through uh, the stock show where we exhibit our animals against others. Um, it does a great thing for promoting our own personal operation, but also it gives the public a, a chance to come and see what these people are doing, uh, you know, how how animals are actually treated and whatnot. But uh, we go to them not only to promote like our Hereford uh, seed stock and show stock operation where we sell some cattle to other people to, to either take them out and exhibit them or produce more beef, produce, you know, take them to their operations as a bull and use them for breeding. Um, but we also have taken the, the Wagyu. Uh, we were some of the first to take Wagyu to the uh, national western stock show just to present them as another breed out there for people to come look at and that was uh, really eye-opening to a lot of other breeders to realize what this uh you know used to be a novelty breed but has really been growing up and becoming a much more um much more beef industry type of breed with a lot of acknowledgement towards their quality Roger, um, my company's headquarters is actually at the north edge of the National Western Stock Show campus, which has just been transformed. I'm one of those that had to live through the last two years of construction, but I can tell you, I can't wait for people to come to the Stock Show in January, which is just around the corner, and see the new Colorado State University Spur campus, the new corporate kitchen, the corporate meeting places, just the incredible school that they've put up to teach people about agriculture. But as far as the beef production side, Roger, maybe you could explain why the National Western Stock Show in Denver, why that show is important and different than other stock shows, or maybe it's not, but what is the history of that stock show and why do beef producers come from all over? They come from Canada, they come from Mexico, they come from all over the world, but why? It's, you know, it's the granddaddy of them all. It's the it's the one that everybody always wanted to go to because it's so it's so open. It's right in the heart of of beef industry. You guys opened the show talking about that. We call you guys the front range. Actually, a lot of times when we're in the 
in the packing plant and whatnot. They talk about sending beef to the front range out in your area. Um, but that's why it is, is because everybody goes there, so that way you can see everybody else's operation. It was the first ones to actually open up and it to to the uh, regular public. Of course, that has evolved over the years, but they still come in and they get to see how it works. Um, so that's why everybody really wants to be there is because everybody's there and you can market your livestock all over the nation from Denver. Well, one thing I love about the stock show is that I have been going to the stock show ever since I was a little kid because I'm a Colorado native and grew up on a hobby farm, only 40 acres, so not enough acreage to do beef production, but enough to have some pigs and some chickens in a big, huge garden, four or five acres of vegetables. But I loved the stock show. And the cool thing about the National Western, that's very unique, I think. And maybe you could tell me it's not unique, Roger, because you've been to all these other stock shows, but now you have this ag teaching campus at i-70 and i-25 in the heart of denver in the city limits of denver and so now urbanites can very easily take a light rail stop from wherever from downtown two stops to the national western station and learn about ag production and see cattle and horses and learn all about it so is that unique or is that that duplicated other other places in the country roger the the university being there is very unique yes and the show itself is all of them are unique in their way. Uh, one of the National Western Stock Show's big, big uniqueness is, is their pin show, where you present multiples. Uh, you know, I might take three bulls, and they all show together, or, or ten bulls. So they have a unique pin show. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it is very unique. And when I was a kid, I remember exhibiting steers there, which which was a big thing for us and they did very well and then when the steers were done you uh they actually would go straight out to the slaughter plant and then you would find out how they did on the rail as well as a kid it was a very emotional time but also finding out the information because you know what these animals are there for was really educational for us as well so so they're unique and how they present to having the stock show, but also they're very educational. Yeah, I, and I love it. I just love that interaction between people like you that are generations deep in beef production and ag production and then city slickers that don't know much about it and, and they can go down through the live cattle part and just ask questions about all the cool things and it's it's amazing. You know, Greg, you're too old to go to mutton busting, okay? That's your. It's. <laughs> I love mutton busting. You're not allowed to go anymore. Hey, I used to go to mutton busting before they put helmets on those kiddos. <laughs> Grab a handful and hang on, yeah, huh? Right. Very good. Hey, um, uh, Roger. Before we let you get out of here, I'm. I am the chef here, and so, you know, I've cooked anything and everything, but. When it comes to uh, classic beef cuts, whether it's, uh, of course, filet. How can you go wrong with filet? Mm-hmm. But, you know, when we talk about the chuck, the strip, the ribeye, the brisket, uh, uh, what's your preference out there? Um, I mean, as a good beef producer, I always love the beefy ribeye if you can get, you know. But the one that I think is really underutilized is the culette, the top of that cap. Uh this is a, a piece that I think we use it all the time, especially if we're to do hosting a deck party. We like to invite people out to the ranch to see how we, you know, manage our land, how we manage our cattle, but we also host a, what we call a deck party. 
and uh, and we always grill up something. We love to grill up the coulette. Uh, it's an easier one to cook. Uh, it still has the beefy flavor. It's nice and tender. And if you need to do something for a large group of people, it's very simple. Very good. You know, from a chef's perspective, yeah, I'll tell you. I mentioned my friend in uh, Potter, Nebraska, and I'm up there during spring branding, and he said, Jackson, I've got all these steaks over here. I want you to, you know, get the grill going and feed the feed the whole crew here. And, you know, we had about 12 people working with us. And he gives me inch and a half thick T-bones. And I'm thinking, this is going to take four hours to cook. And I don't even have a fire started yet. But I like your idea on the, on the culotte steak there just because, uh, as a chef, I'm looking to produce product as quickly as I can. And that's a great mm-hmm. suggestion. Roger, I had the culotte for dinner last night. Your Morgan Ranch Wagyu culottes, they were outstanding. I love the size of them. You know, that cap on the top of the top butt. So most people don't know that a top butt has two main muscles. It has the heart, we call it, or the center cut. And then there's a seam, a nice fat seam, and then there's the culotte or the cap. And not not a lot of packers will will divide those two up. They'll they'll sell a whole top butt. And the chef, like Chef Jackson, he'd have to, in his kitchen, remove the cap from the center cut part, which isn't that hard, but, you know, he might not have the time or the staff to do that. So you guys separate the culotte from the heart and sell both. They're both yep. wonderful. But that culotte, I cooked it on my Traeger for two hours. I smoked it for an hour, and then I turned it up to 325, and I pulled it off when the center was at 155, and then let it rest for half an hour. Mm-hmm. Chef Jackson, I carved that thing up last night, and it was not even supposed to be for dinner. It was for Jonathan and I to eat for sandwiches the rest of this week. We ate half of one standing there at the carving board. It was so good. It's just delicious. Bet you can't eat just one. Nope. That's it. It is a delicious cut, yes. So, Roger, I wanted to ask you um, just a little bit more about the culinary side of things, and Chef Jackson can speak to this. But um, there's, we've talked about on this show, Chef, about the number of food commercials now on social media, Instagram, TikTok. They're just <laughs> everywhere now. And, and uh, Ways to Cook Beef is also um, just... It's all over out there, right? It's just everywhere. Yeah. Roger, are you involved in any of that? Do you, do you, are you involved in social media? And if so, um, what part? And if not, why not? Um, I'm not super involved in the social media. I do watch those, though. Uh, I'm more of just a spectator. I'm the one that doesn't ever comment, but I actually do watch what's going on there. So I see those ads. I think they're great. I think because uh, a lot of the ones that I see are from other niche marketers kind of like us, a smaller operation that just simply goes direct to the the consumer. Um, So I guess I'm not too much of a social media person, but but I do watch them. We are blessed as far as culinary uh, within our company. You know, we we go to many different countries with our product, and uh, we're lucky to service over 100 Michelin star chefs. Um, we were voted best steak in Germany a while back, and a sister company in Germany um, does a lot of this social media marketing. And they they have a, a large group that presents it, and I think they do a wonderful job. I think it really boosts the sales. You know, Roger, you have just caught my attention. Um, Michelin chefs over there in Europe? I love yep. that idea. You know, I'm about to retire from my regular job of teaching at Metropolitan State University of Denver. I could be a representative for you. 
<laughs> no, but I think it's fantastic that you've got that type of market penetration uh, throughout the European market. Uh, is anything happening in the Asian or South American market? Yes, we ha- we have some going on over there as well, uh, especially through Japan. My uncle Dan, who started the company, um, you know, he showed up here at the ranch with the trailer load of Wagyu cattle, and then we started incorporating them and and uh, really built off of that. He spent a lot of time developing the Japanese market early on, and it was very fun to produce Wagyu beef and send it back to Japan. It really helped out. That's a pretty cool story, yeah. And I, I met your Uncle Dan. That's how I know your company, your family as I was at a food show in Hong Kong in 2018, I believe. It was pre-COVID. And uh, I have a booth there, and I'm cooking up beef, Colorado beef. And uh, here comes Dan Morgan. I didn't know him, and we talked. And, wow, we hit it off. We talked for all three days at that show and became great friends, and that's how I know about your company. So I, I do know that your beef is coveted around the world. I think that the uh, market penetration with that type of an effect is fantastic good for you there roger i think that's great thank you that 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 uh, all goes to dan and my sister carrie they like i say they uh they do more of the marketing and some of the social media um i i'm more of the uh live animal uh director i i really watch how the cattle are doing and the and the genetics of it Hey, Roger, we just have about a minute and a half left, and I would like to just maybe ask you this last question, and maybe Chef Jackson will ask you a follow-up. But, you know, as far as sustainability and can future generations thrive and survive raising cattle, what, what would you say to that? Like, can you see your operation getting passed on to, you know, your kids and then your grandkids, or, or do you think that that's in trouble? I, I see it thriving. I I see we are set up to pass this on to the next generation. We are going to continue working uh, with the environment and everything that we're set up to do to keep this going for the next generation. I think that if, as they have to be adaptive, we're going to, you can't be bullheaded and say, no, I won't do it a different way. You've got to step back and look into how do you, how do you produce the best, beef on America in, in the world here and that's you know that's one of the things that makes us unique when the Wagyu cattle showed up here that really opened a lot of eyes around but you got to be adaptive you've got to find where your niche is going to help you out and how to maximize that so that way the next generation can not only come back to it but thrive with it that's great and Roger you've shared with us the, the animal husbandry and animal science and the genetics that go behind being successful. Uh, this is not, you know, where you can just buy a bunch of land and start, uh, you know, raising cattle. There's a lot more to it. And, uh, you know, I think that these ag programs at these huge universities really do generate interest among those students. Rod- Roger, I look forward to seeing you at the National Western Stock Show coming up here soon, and I do want to thank you for being on the show today and taking some time away from your busy schedule producing high-quality cattle to, to talk to us. really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Greg, and thank you, Chef Jackson. I, I really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Today. Thank great. you, Roger. Have a great week. See you at the Stock Show. Well, we've just heard from Roger Morgan at Morgan Ranch and 
what a great job his family has done for generations producing high quality cattle. And you are probably asking yourself, where can I buy some Oregon Ranch beef? And the answer to that would be ranchfreshmeats.com. You can go to there, ranchfreshmeats.com, and click on Wagyu. All of our Wagyu comes from Oregon Ranch. And you're going to have great options there. So it's not always available year-round, different times of the year. As Roger said, they don't rush anything. So we buy what we can get when it's ready. So go to ranchfreshmeats.com, click on Wagyu for Morgan Ranch Beef. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring That turn from green to that harvest honey Hold one up for the banker downtown That got him on his feet with handshake money Here's to the farmer's wife That loves him every night Raising a son Raising a daughter, they gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.